Hi, this is James Devine, and I am an educator who has come out of the trenches. Listen in as my friend and colleague Dana Goodyear shares stories and tips from other educators who have come out of the trenches. Welcome to the Out of the Trenches podcast. This is Dana Goodyear. Thanks for listening. My next guest is Michael Jennings. Michael has spent over a decade teaching and coaching at nearly every, every level. He has been a physical education teacher, a strength athletics org, a healthy body conditioning coach, football coach, youth athletic development trainer, and now program director for PE and character. He's passionate about the powerful role that movement, physical activity, and sport play in the holistic development of young people. He is dedicated to showing that PE, physical activity, and sport build strong foundations in our youth. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk shop a little bit. Well, I uh, met you at the Teach Better conference uh, in October and uh, went to one of your sessions, which we'll discuss on the podcast today. Uh, But I'd like you to start off with telling me a time you were in the trenches and managed to crawl out. Yeah, and that's a that's a tough question. Um, Sometimes sometimes maybe a little bit more tricky than one would think to narrow it down to just one time. Right. Uh, Being in the field of education, there's often times where, you know, our hands are dirty, our boots are dirty and we're really having to work to try to overcome a challenge whether it be with a student, with a parent, with an administrator, with a coworker, um, or whatever the case may be. One, one that sticks out to me, and, and I, I actually reference this a decent amount in some of the talks that I give, um, was early on in my career as a, as a PE and health teacher. Um, my first year teaching ever, I was at a high school, mm-hmm. and I essentially did physical education full-time, and it was more or less in the weight room where I had all the, you know, the quote unquote athletes and the kids that wanted to be there. Um, I had a great experience. I had an absolutely wonderful time. Um, It's where I really learned that, holy cow, like PE and this space of helping young people is where I want to be. And, um, you know, everything was going great. In fact, I got to the point and had such a successful year that we ended up fundraising enough money to get a whole new weight room. Um, I actually was voted teacher of the year and everything was fantastic. And mm-hmm. uh, not so long after I, you know, got kind of awarded that that recognition, um, I get called into the principal's office and I was at a traditional public school. And uh, most people that know about, you know, the public school setting, especially for young educators, especially in bigger school districts, um, know about kind of the perils of budget cuts and mm-hmm. changes and class sizes and things. And um, lo and behold, I was displaced. Um, mm-hmm. I was told that they were reducing the number of courses or the number of sections, excuse me, in the physical education department. Um, I actually got hired, you know, it, what turned out to be based on the seniority level, um, two days after a person that was, you know, above me on this, the totem pole. So mm. next thing I know, I'm out of a job. Um, I, at the moment I was told that I was not going to be, um, there wasn't a place for me at that school and they were going to see if there's a place for me elsewhere, but they couldn't guarantee anything. And so for a little bit, I didn't have any clue if I um, was going to have a job the next year, if I was going to have to move um, on all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Turns out I did get placed into another building in the same district at the middle school level. Mm-hmm. I really had no desire to teach middle school. Um, everybody talks about 
teachers going to middle school to retire, right? It's <laughs> where all teachers go because it's a it's crazy, it's topsy turvy, it's up and down and all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my first year at the middle school, I was pretty resentful to be honest, and um, didn't, didn't have a great year. It wasn't that I had a bad year by any means, but it definitely didn't stack up to my first year. And Mm -hmm. like I said, I was resentful. I I knew that, you know, I I liked my coworkers at my old school. I was coaching there and now I was no longer even coaching at that school. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, so I, I was coaching elsewhere and I was frantic all over the place. You know, I was driving across town for this and driving back across town for that, and then living over here. And, um, it was just a very hectic and stressful year. Um, and, you know, to be honest, some of the people that I was teaching with at the time, you know, I, I didn't even let them in, right. I didn't mm-hmm. let them because I was so resentful of the situation. Um, but ultimately, you know, over time, once I kind of realized like, Hey, this is where I'm at. This is what I want to do. I can't let this affect me because if it affects me, it's going to affect the kids. Mm -hmm. And I knew from my first year that what I wanted to do more than anything else was help these young people to grow and develop the motivation, the competence and the confidence to be physically active. And that's all I wanted to do. And so what I had to do is kind of just say, Hey, let's embrace the situation. Let's embrace the challenge. And ultimately a couple of things panned out. Um, Mm -hmm. I learned to love middle school. In mm-hmm. fact, if I were to go back, I'm not in the classroom anymore, but if I were to go back to the school setting, I would want to be back in the middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that range of sixth grade to eighth grade is fantastic because you can be as goofy and as silly as you want and the sixth graders still love it. And then you can still have, you know, grown up quote, quote unquote conversations with some of the eighth graders. And it's just gives you that kind of spectrum, which is really, really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and as soon as I embraced that, everything started to kind of fall back into place. I got really very close with several of my coworkers, Mm -hmm. um, two of which I'm still very close with, one of which Mm -hmm. is one of my most near and dear friends um, and somebody whom I think is an absolute mentor and um, somebody that I look up to greatly in the profession. Um, And I still go back to her on a regular basis and asking questions and picking her brain on things. And so um, ultimately it turned out to be great. Our our department was recognized by the state for being a blue ribbon department in physical education. And mm-hmm. that was fantastic. We just got a lot of things accomplished, um, a lot of new initiatives and programs. And ultimately, like I said, it really set the tone for me as a professional. And so that was kind of the time that I was in and, and out of the trenches, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I resonate with that is uh, having been a French teacher and, you know, budget cuts with electives a lot and, uh, you know, displacement or rifts. Uh, I mean, that's uh, something I've uh, also, um, you know, been a part of. And, um, you know, I get that part of, you know, how you felt about being placed in a school, you weren't necessarily um, wanting to be in that level. But yeah, once you kind of shifted your mindset, right, <laughs> you yeah. learned to love it. So yeah, that really came full circle. Um, yeah, so- and I think it's, it's really a, a testament to just kind of the power of mindset, right? And yeah, the, and that's really what opened my eyes is like, holy cow, as soon as I just embraced where I was and, yeah. you know, let this, didn't let the situation dictate me, right? Yeah. And I could still become me and do me and, and do the things that I felt was best for the school and for the kids, you know, then, you know, I can lean into the situation and I can make these friends and I can learn that, oh, wow, there's a whole nother, there's a whole 
crew of teachers here that are wanting the same thing I am and let's use each other. And I think that was just really powerful, especially early on in my career, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So now you're uh, working with the Athos program. So tell me a little bit about the program and um, your writing that you do for them and some of the curriculum development as well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I work kind of, I wear two hats. Um, ultimately, I, I work for a um, education service provider called mm-hmm. Athlos Academies and mm-hmm. where we help uh, schools open up charter schools and um, help manage them through everything from um, curriculum, instruction, um, assessment, finance, HR, the whole the whole gamut. And mm-hmm. I oversee two of the three academic pillars of the of the charter school model. Those two pillars mm-hmm. are healthy body and performance character. So our model is a three-pillared model where we focus and we believe that we truly teach to the whole child by knowing that the three primary pillars, prepared mind, healthy body, and performance character are mm-hmm. inextricably linked and that we can't have ultimate success in a holistic education unless we are teaching to all three of those pillars. So as I mentioned, I oversee two of those pillars, whether it's through um, observations, walkthroughs, modeling, co-teaching, resource creation, content, mm-hmm. uh, curriculum development, things along those lines. Um, the other hat that I wear is I've we've actually packaged that program, the performance character aspect and the healthy body uh, healthy body aspect, excuse me. And now we that's also available to schools. Um, and to practitioners, youth sport coaches, YMCAs, mm-hmm. multi-sport organizations across the country. And so that program in itself, because not everybody wants to start a charter school, right? So they, mm-hmm. they're not going to sit here and say, well, I want to you know, get the whole kit and caboodle, but I really like the healthy body idea. I really like the performance character idea. How can I implement that? So we package that up mm-hmm. and I oversee that program as well. That's called the Athlos Movement and Character Program. Mm-hmm. And so with that in mind, ultimately I'm working with a wide variety of schools. Um, I'm oftentimes, you know, trying to keep up with a blog with blogs and blog posts and talking about my um, you know, adventures of speaking at the Teach Better conference or mm-hmm. um, you know, the day-to-day kind of boots on the ground efforts at the schools or just best practice or new research or things along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um and so truthfully. I love the role because I, like I said, I work with a wide swath of schools, whereas oftentimes I'm in a school on the ground with the kids, with the teachers, and sometimes I'm on a virtual call like I am now mm-hmm. with a school supporting them in Jakarta, Indonesia, and okay. all across the country and all across the globe, which is really, really great and exciting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like there's many aspects to your job, but you're able to use a lot of your passions and promoting the healthy body, healthy healthy movement um, mindset and uh, really get to use all your talents. So <laughs> sounds like sort of a dream job. It, it is pretty, it is pretty great. Um, I, I, you know, the, the, the old cliche or the old mantra is find something that you love and you never work a day in your life. It's uh-huh. pretty, pretty accurate. Um, I really am very fortunate. I do. I, I get to spend all my days being creative and talking and supporting people in an area that I think is absolutely pivotal to um, youth success. And and that is movement and character development. You know, it's how, you know, how, like I said before, how can we claim and many schools do, in fact, Mm -hmm. many school districts, many school boards, 
their slogan, their mantra, their, their creed, their motto, whatever it says, you know, teaching holistic or, you know, spending time teaching the whole child or developing holistic, holistically educated youth or whatever the case may be. And it's like, Oh, are you like, do you offer daily physical education? No. Okay. Do you offer movement breaks? Do you support mm-hmm. and encourage movement breaks in the classroom? No. Okay. Well, that's another knock. Do you provide recess to, to all of your students? Do you provide free play opportunities and not, no, I'm not just talking about the six or seven minutes after they get done eating at lunch. I'm talking mm-hmm. about daily. Mm-hmm. And do you offer character development resources? And I'm not in not I'm not going to talk about necessarily social and emotional learning. I'm talking about specific performance character traits like grit and optimism mm-hmm. and initiative and integrity and creativity. You know, are do you are you explicit and intentional in those areas? And obviously, as we all know, that's just not the case. And if you're not doing that, you're just providing mm-hmm. lip service to yeah. To your constituents, to your stakeholders. And that to me is an absolute travesty. So when I get to share this message and get to talk to people that feel the same way, I just get, as you can tell, very excited and very, very eager to, to talk about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about what are your sessions that you provide. The one that I, the breakout session I attended was uh, the best education you never knew you had. Uh, so it talks about the uh, neurotropic factor in the brain uh, what it transmits during physical activity. So talk a little bit about some of the research findings. Um, and it's kind of a snapshot of what that session's about. Yeah, absolutely. So the session that uh, you're discussing was one that I that I, I really like. And, and as you know, I get excited about it. And it's, um, I've kind of dubbed it as the best educational tool you never knew you had. And so mm-hmm. um, what I mean by that is, you know, oftentimes when we think about trying to teach kids and get them to learn things and get them to develop as young people, you know, we're talking about educational strategies and whether it's, you know, project-based learning or standards-based grading or, Mm -hmm. you know, inquiry-derived instruction or things like that, it's, that's all fine and good. But for me, there's no more powerful tool. And this is from my anecdotal experience. And this is what the research is saying. And by by no means am I the, the genius that's doing all of this research. Mm-hmm. But this is what the research is saying is that movement and physical activity and exercise, sport participation and play participation are the best things to help a young person or adult for that matter mm-hmm. learn. Mm-hmm. And so I talk about in the in my session a lot of great resources, whether it's um, John Rady, Dr. John Rady's book Spark, or Dr. Uh, Carly Hannaford's book Smart Moves. Um, there's all sorts of great information and resources out there. I share like it's like a slide and a half worth of uh, articles and research papers and things at the end of my session that goes through and talks about how we can see not only positives in academic growth from a standpoint of GPA, standardized test scores, uh, the numbers of you know, advanced placement courses high school kids take, or even to IQ tests that are taken, we can see that those types of things skyrocket and go through the roof with increased physical activity, with the more fit a person is, like cardiovascularly fit a person is, the better they tend to do in, in these types of tests. So not only in those academic fields, but we also see a huge, a huge and huge benefit 
for the emotional side of things as well, for emotional regulation, for self-advocacy, for self-efficacy, self-esteem, all these things that we know are so important for students' success, we see an increase in all of those as well. Mm-hmm. And then also on the behavioral side, we talk about um, how kids can focus longer, how studies are showing that there's a, a double-digit percent decrease in time spent on off-task behavior when kids are active before the lesson. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we know that it, and, it, and we can get these benefits in as few as five minutes, if possible, mm-hmm. if we're doing if we're doing the targeted approach. We know that specific movements and specific activities do different things in the brain, whether it's resistance training, like lifting weights or going out for a walk or doing yoga, doing different, having different aspects or excuse me, having different effects in different areas of the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, something you mentioned prior to kind of me going off on my on my little rant here was was a, a something a substance called brain derived neurotrophic factor or BDNF. Mm-hmm. And so this kind of this phrase was coined by John Ray, by Dr. John Rady in his book Spark. And he says where BDNF is like miracle grow for the brain. Okay. And when we exercise and when we are active, our brain secretes this BDNF chemical, this neurotransmitter. Mm-hmm. And what miracle grow does if you put it on you know, your garden or you put it on your yard and mm-hmm. it's like fertilizer, right? It helps everything grow robust and thick and fast and sturdy and strong. And that's what BDNF does for our neurochemistry, right? So, so our brain is made up of these neurons, our whole nervous system, our central nervous system, right? These neurons that are specific to the nervous system and they each are connected, right? This is a kind of a 1 million foot view of, mm-hmm. of how our brains work, but they're each connected. And when we want to learn something, there's more and more of those connections being made. When we want to learn how to move, right? If we are learning how to skip for the first time, it's no different. Those same types of connections need to be made. And then if we're learning how to do math or learning how to read, more and more connections are being made. BDNF promotes those connections and it Mm -hmm. strengthens the connections that are already there. Mm -hmm. So something that I used in my session was that a slide of a big, we were up in the foothills over here, right outside of my house in in Mm -hmm. Boise, Idaho, and big, tall grass hills, very gorgeous. And there's no path anywhere. And you can just see Mm -hmm. for miles, but it's just these mountains. Right. And I say, okay, if we wanted to walk from here to those mountains over there, it would be Mm -hmm. tough. We could do it. Right. But we have to be picking up our feet and sludging through tall grass and over bushes and shrubs and all this stuff. But with over time with BDNF, what happens is we can wear a path more easily through. And then I flash to another picture where now there's a trail that's that's very well aligned and very easy to navigate and very easy to go through. And now we say, well, if we wanted to get from here to there now, it's really simple because we can just stay on this trail. We can even drag our feet if we want to, because there's nothing getting in our way. Mm -hmm. So what exercise does, what physical activity and Mm -hmm. play does, whether it's through recess, physical education, exercise before and before or after school, um, sport team participation, or movement breaks in their classroom, it spurs that, it promotes the um, production of that BDNF to Mm -hmm. give us that pathway to solidify our learning right? Mm -hmm. To solidify the things that our teachers are trying to get us to, to kind of maintain, whether it's like I said before, reading, math, skipping, 
you know, a science concept, um, dates, facts, things along those lines. So, mm-hmm. like I said, that's a lot. If, if anybody's out here that is, uh, you know, a neurobiologist or a neurochemist or something, I'm sure they're just cringing at my explanation. But to me, that's how it's how it's always made the most sense and how I've been able to kind of get it out to people. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, and I remember well that uh, image that you gave. And I think it also is helpful for students who have that like, uh, overwhelmed factor when they get an assignment, right? Um, if they're if they're having more physical activity, then maybe this overwhelming assignment won't seem as overwhelming because Absolutely. of those transmitters. Okay. Absolutely, and and it's and not only so from that standpoint, you know, there are more neurotransmitters and and more um, kind of substances that are that are being produced and secreted in the mm-hmm. brain that during um, physical activity things like dopamine and serotonin and noradrenaline and norepinephrine and all sorts of things, right. That are, have a direct play on those same things, those anxiety Mm -hmm. levels. So even if, even if we take away the BDNF and we take away that kind of miracle growth for the brain, Mm -hmm. we still have chemicals that are being secreted that actually calm us down and actually take us down a step from an anxiety standpoint and can act as an anti-anxiety or anti-even depressive mm-hmm. kind of medication. One of the charts that I put up there, um, I paired with one of the conclusion uh, conclusion statement, and, and I'm paraphrasing here, mm-hmm. but ultimately it said, in conclusion, regular physical activity is as effective as pharmaceuticals for reducing, is at least as, excuse me, is at least as effective at reducing anxiety and depressive symptoms in people as pharmaceuticals. So what mm-hmm. that means is that this this group of people, this group of researchers in their study found that physical activity and exercise are as effective at minimum as something that's prescribed by a doctor to treat anxiety or depression, which mm-hmm. is absolutely mind-blowing to me, right? That mm-hmm. that's something that we have this powerful tool at our disposal, which goes back to what you said before about, hey, if a kid's really anxious about a big test or an assignment, what better way to calm those nerves than going for a walk, right? Mm -hmm. What better way to calm those nerves than doing some type of physical activity or play prior to an assignment or prior to a learning um, endeavor. One of the things that I talk about a lot with schools is if you're going, if you know you're going to do an information dense session, Mm -hmm. whether it's a lecture or a PowerPoint, or you're just giving out a lot of information for five, six, seven, 12, 20, 25 minutes, whatever the case Mm -hmm, may be. mm -hmm. The first thing you should do is prime the brain for learning. And how Mm -hmm, do you do that? mm -hmm. Get the kids standing up, go Mm -hmm. for a five minute walk, you know, do a couple of jumping jacks, do some air squats, do some high knees. You know, there's all sorts of things just to get the kids moving. And that Mm -hmm. will help them retain. It'll help them calm their nerves. It'll help them focus more. It'll detract from misbehavior and it will help them retain the information that you're trying to give better than just going in cold. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's such a good idea for, for people. It doesn't take you long and it's just, uh, you know, you, you want those kids to be able to focus on learning, but yeah, if they're just going from class to class, sitting in seats the whole time, that is prime um, target for misbehavior, right? So, um, absolutely. So a thing that we talked about um, when I was in that breakout session, a lot of people 
you know, they know this, but then it's hard to like actually get this going at their school. Um, so what would you advise somebody who would maybe want to start a task force at their school or in their district, or even do a presentation to their school board um, about like ways that they can build uh, more types of physical activity into the school day, such as like um, during an advisory period, during an intervention period, how would, how would you um, maybe make some suggestions about scheduling at secondary? Because a lot of the time it's, it's, it's in that elementary school day, you know, they have extra time for SEL, they have extra time for recess, two recesses often, but not at the secondary level. Right. Yeah. Well, I think uh, the first two things kind of jump out as what to do first, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the one of those two, and these can be in any real order, um, try it yourself mm-hmm. first, find a class um, and just do it and see what happens. Okay. Do it for three weeks, do it for four weeks, whatever the case may be, you know, five minutes a day and just see if you can tell a difference. And my guess is you're going to tell a major difference very quickly and it's going to be unmistakable. Another thing you can do, maybe this is 1A or whatever, like I said, either mm-hmm. one, gather, find, gather, and reference the research. It's mm-hmm. out there, and it's very easy to get come across. If for whatever the reason you're struggling, please reach out to me directly, and I will get you anything and everything that I have. I'm an open book. Um, I, I happily share kind of information and, and knowledge mm-hmm. as much mm-hmm. as I possibly can. Because once you have those, I kind of kind of call it like arrows in the quiver, right? Mm-hmm, once mm-hmm. you have those arrows in the quiver, you're ready to shoot them off when you need to. Okay. And you can, and when somebody asks, well, what are you doing? Like you're taking away from instructional time. You can say, oh, here's here's an arrow from my quiver, right? Mm-hmm, There's no research mm-hmm. anywhere in the world that proves that more classroom time gives better academic results. None. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Boom. Easy. Well, what about you? Don't you need to cover your content? Well, here's another quiver, right? If I, my class is misbehaving a lot. They're talkative, Mm -hmm. they're off task, they're out of focus. If I participate in, if my kids participate in physical activity, there's at least a double digit likelihood, double digit percent chance that I'm going to be decreasing my time spent with misbehavior, which then increases my overall uh, time spent with academics. So you Mm -hmm. have this ability to kind of fire these things off in responses Mm -hmm. to why are you doing this? And most of the time, in my in my opinion, most of the time, the the first major hurdle for any change is people grasping the idea of why. If they mm. don't know why, or if they don't believe in the why you're doing something, or why we're trying to do something, then there's never going to be any conversation about the who, the what, the when, or the mm. how. Mm-hmm. I firmly, firmly believe that. So if you're, if you can come with, with research, with data, with, with, with information, plus your own kind of anecdotal evidence. Okay. Now you're going to say, oh, wow. You know what? Your teacher, your co-teacher down the hall or your team teacher, whoever it is, is like, wow, you know, I've really needed to, I'm struggling with sixth hour. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what should I do? I'm, I'm at wit's end. And then you can say, Hey, try this stuff out. It's been working for me. And now there's two of you, and, you know, mm-hmm. and then next mm-hmm. thing you know, there's three and then six and then whatever the case may be mm-hmm. from a task, po- t- from a task force standpoint, to me, this is like, if you can, if you can take the information that you gathered and some of your anecdotal evidence and you take it to your assistant principal or principal or Dean or, or whomever in your school and you say, Hey, 
this is something that I've noticed. I would really like to see if anybody's willing to kind of dive in and try mm-hmm. some type of formalized approach to this to give our students more opportunities for success or mm-hmm. more opportunities to be successful. <laughs> My guess would be if you can, if you have those arrows in your quiver mm-hmm. and you approach it to the standpoint of this has been working for me and I want to give, I want to find ways to give our students more opportunities for success. My guess would be your principal, your assistant principal would probably be on board with at least sitting down and having the conversation mm. uh, because 99% of the time principals and administrator and administrators are not going to say no to mm-hmm. something that is going to help students, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? If they do, there's bigger fish at play that we need to try to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, something I was wondering for teachers who teach those core subjects, um, you know, like social studies, math, science, um, what do they do, um, you know, if they have these targets or these, like, you know, the whole team teaches this lesson this day and they feel like they have to cover a certain amount um, and maybe you have some naysayers in your team, Um, you know, like you said, it's gathering the research, it's showing the evidence, but like it, there may be a younger teacher in the bunch who's like, I want to, you know, do like the other people. I don't want to get in trouble. So what would you say to somebody like that who feels like, okay, I had, I need to cover. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the episode. Per day. Well, my question to them immediately is if you feel like you need to cover a certain amount per day, what happens mm-hmm. when kids don't learn mm-hmm. what you're trying to cover? Do you just yeah. go on and leave them behind? Yeah. Like, so, so I don't like necessarily, and maybe this is a little bit of a cop out to the question. So I apologize, but I don't necessarily mm-hmm. like the, the, the questions and I don't really give too much time to the questions of, well, I've got to get this covered just yeah. because Sure, you you may want to get it covered, and it may be necessary for your, you know, your pacing guide and your scope and sequence and your your you know, um, your curriculum, your cross school curriculum or whatever vertical or horizontal alignment. But if they don't grasp that content, do mm-hmm. you just move on because mm-hmm. you just said that you have to get to this and you have to get to that? Yeah. So if you're just passing over kids that might not get it. Well, then, and if and you're okay with that, well, then this conversation is going to be lost on you anyways. Mm-hmm. And I'm mm-hmm. going to let you keep doing your thing until somebody else comes and fixes it. Because right now we're talking about how can we get more movement in the school day to help our kids be successful, right? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So, so then what I say is, sure, if we have a lot of content to get to yeah, and I spend, let's say I have a 45 minute class period mm-hmm. and I spend two minutes at the beginning, just getting attendance done and all this stuff. And then I spend two minutes at the end of class, you know, getting kind of just talking and doing whatever. Okay. Now I'm down to 41 minutes and I've got to get all this stuff. Okay. I got to pass out papers. That takes another minute. I got to collect, I got to get kids, get their laptops out. That takes another couple minutes. Plus this whole time while kids are getting their laptops out, while I'm passing out papers, while I'm taking attendance, kids are talking. And I'm trying to get them to be quiet at the same time. So yeah. every one of these one to two minute segments ends up being three to four minutes. Yeah. 
Yeah. And now I'm cutting out a lot of time for my education or what I can be doing, not my education, excuse me, my instruction. Yeah. And so what I can say is if I'm struggling in these little areas, I can kind of right the ship by having a system and a structure in place that says, hey, this is what we do at this time. And this is when we get our movement in. Or if I can tell that kids are kind of getting off subject or getting off topic when we're talking and doing a group discussion, or if you know, I am lecturing or I am going over a PowerPoint and I can tell that, hey, you know, I got a lot of kind of glazed over faces rather than saying, do you understand? Do you understand? Do you understand? I can just say, OK, put your stuff down, stand up. We're going to play a game of silent ball. Put your stuff down, stand up. We're going to do, you know, jumping jack flashcards yeah. or, you know, whatever kind of fun and hokey thing you want to do. But just to get them moving and get the blood flowing kind of get their heart rate up a little bit or just get some coordinative abilities going, whether it's catching or throwing or, you know, tossing a wad of paper into the trash can or, you know, whatever the case may be, there's the, the possibilities are seemingly endless to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, but then you can say, okay, I'm using instructional time. Like my instructional time is sacred. Yes. Just like yours is sacred, but I'm using my instructional time to prime some of my instructional time to prime my kids to actually learn. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You might, you might do some elaborate, like I've been around teachers that like dress up in costumes to get their kids hooked on a content. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Great. If that works for you, that's, that's your instructional strategy. Mine is I'm going to spend that same amount of time moving, playing mm -hmm. a game, right. Yeah. Getting kids jumping around and doing things like that. So that's kind of, again, a long winded approach to talking to teachers that are asking those kind of naysayer questions. Um, the other thing that I do for that is mm -hmm. I, and I tell this to everybody, go after the low hanging fruit. Yeah. Right. The, the early adopters, the ones that, you know, are going like, yeah, sure. Heck with it. I'll try anything. Let's go. Yeah. Let's try. And, you know, new is fun. Awesome. Let's go. Go after those people. And kind of the analogy that I use is if you don't pick the low hanging fruit, early mm -hmm. and you leave them on the vine or you leave it on the branch, you leave it on the tree. Eventually that vine, that branch, that tree grows taller and taller and taller. And that fruit gets out of reach. Yeah. And as soon as it gets out of reach, there's no coming back because up there, even if you can put a ladder to it and pick it, it's probably spoiled. It's probably got worms in it. It's probably moldy. It's probably gross. Right. So we want to go after the, the, the low hanging fruit ASAP, because eventually if we don't pick it, it gets spoiled and we can't. There's no coming back. There's no saving it. Mm -hmm. and once we get enough of those low hanging fruit, those early adopters on, then it's almost like a peer, an adult peer pressure thing where it's like, OK, mm -hmm. everybody else is doing it. So you're either in or you're out. Type yeah. Maybe yeah. 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 And that's a good way to look at it. Like, you know, try to get as many people on board as you can. Right. And then, you know, kind of change that mindset, at least in your hallway, in your team uh, and see like the results um, they they will show. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Uh, we talked about some blogs uh, that you have written. Um, you said that you were in the process of writing one about uh, getting out of your silo and uh, presenting at conferences that may not be uh, your subject area. <laughs> yeah. So talk yeah, about your that... thoughts on that. <laughs> Yeah, so I, um, as you mentioned, as we both kind of talked about, I did present at the Teach Better conference. Um, and to be honest, I was just thrilled to be even in attendance at the Teach Better mm -hmm. conference. And I, I wasn't, although 
all that sure about what it would be like, mm-hmm. um, you know, coming from the physical education world, the health world, you know, the strength conditioning, the sport coaching world, most of the conferences that I attend and, and or speak at are kind of geared along those same lines, whether it's the National Strength and Conditioning Association, um, you know, the state um, associations of health, physical education, recreation, and dance, um, or, you know, just different kind of national, international things that I've done have all been in that same kind of lane. Whereas mm-hmm. the Teach Better Conference, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm, I'm, I'm fairly confident that I'd say I'm 99% sure that I was the only physical education person mm-hmm. in the entire conference or at the entire conference, not even a presenter, just even in attendance. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I wasn't sure what I was going to get out of it. And to be honest, I, I took home a ton. Um, mm-hmm. I even used some of it in, in a professional development session that I did for one of our schools a couple of weeks ago. And it was absolutely fantastic. And the more I think about it, the more I think, you know, education in general probably needs to do a better job of getting out of our silos yeah, and getting out of this, oh, you're a math teacher, so you can only listen to other math teachers Mm -hmm. or, oh, you're a PE teacher and you don't even pay attention in professional developments, right? Like in, in there's these stigmas and these stereotypes with all different kind of realms. Oh, you're just the business guy, right? You're the business teacher and you just do keyboarding or you're, you know, you're the science teacher and all you get to do is you get to play and light things on fire all day, right? There's mm-hmm, these mm-hmm. different stereotypes. But ultimately, what it comes down to is relationships, mm-hmm. you know, routines, procedures, new ideas, getting outside of your comfort zone from time to time and finding ways just because we, we all have to, we all have to find ways to motivate young people to learn. And sometimes mm-hmm. that's easy. Sometimes that's really, really tough. Some kids love math. Some kids don't want to ever go to a math class again after seventh grade, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's, you have this just like in the, in the PE world, some kids really, really love PE. And if you read anything on, you know, social media and some of these newspapers that are posting things from adults perspective, adults hated PE, right? A lot of, you hear a lot of horror stories about these terrible, terrible experiences that these people had in PE. And so we're all trying to find ways to be innovative and grow. And I think there's a lot more consistency and commonalities across subjects than we like to give it credit for. And Mm -hmm. so that, that was really positive for me is to kind of recognize that and to kind of learn from that and grow from that and take some of the things you know, some strategies that a math teacher might use and then put them into a physical education class. And, Mm -hmm. you know, some physical education classes have 40, 50, 60 and up kids per class. And so it's like, okay, we're controlling chaos and still trying to teach and still have our standards and our learning targets and things along those lines. Here's how we do it in a big group session. So when you get a large class for math and you have, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with 32 kids in a classroom? Mm-hmm. Here are some strategies, right? And so mm-hmm. there's a lot that we can glean from one another. And I'm I'm doing my best to kind of put put that into words to to share and try to promote the idea of get out there, go. Mm-hmm. Just because it's a, you know, it's a, you know, a quote unquote academic conference and you're a PE teacher or you're a choir teacher or you're a business teacher 
go to it, get there, mm-hmm. right? If, you know, and, and see and learn and, and expand your horizons because the more we spend in this little silo and this echo chamber, we just keep saying the same things over and over and over again. And are we really moving the needle? Are we really doing anything different? Yeah. Are we really pushing the envelope? Most of the time, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, something to ponder and and think about for those who are uh, wanting to get out there and research what conferences are available in their region or nationally. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of postings recently about not only Teach Better, but other conferences that are going on. And I think people are really uh, picking up on, you know, the just the enjoyment of networking and seeing people and, and learning at the in-person conferences. So <clears throat> we've had a great conversation today on um, your philosophy and some of the research that you've put into your presentation and also your work, <coughs> excuse me, out of everything we've talked about, what's one thing you'd like listeners to remember? Oh, I think that movement movement in the day, movement throughout the day, not only is it beneficial for the students, but it's beneficial for you as the teacher and as the adult mm-hmm. and as the professional, but ultimately movement and physical activity, free play, those are not taking away from instructional time. That mm-hmm. is instructional time. Yeah, Movement is education. Movement is instruction. And mm-hmm. so when we, when we start thinking about this, I hope and I encourage you all, all the listeners to think of it from a lens of movement is instruction. So just because, you know, I might not be saying, you know, putting up on the marker board two plus two equals four, right? Just because I'm not doing that doesn't mean that the activities and the things that I'm doing aren't instructional practices, Mm -hmm. right? We talk about this a lot. We talked about it earlier, you know, reading a book, reading a passage, reading a worksheet, Okay, all those are different varieties of trying to help kids learn how to read. What if we did? Mm-hmm. What if we just took four minutes away from one of those things to do some type of movement and physical activity, and then had them do it? Right? It doesn't take long. It's not, you know, it's not like it's erasing your class. It's not knocking your content. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Movement is instruction, and I just wish that more people, and I hope that over time, more people recognize the the inherent and in, in quite frankly, proven um, information that mm-hmm. we have that says that how important movement is to our day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where can people connect with you, find you online and read some of your blog posts? Yeah, so uh, the blog posts are um, all in the blog, or Athlos blog. So if you go to AMAC, that's A-M-A-C dot Athlos dot org, mm-hmm. um, you can find everything there. You can access our program um, there's a lot of really great uh, free content on there for, like I said, teachers, coaches, parents, even. Um, we have a bunch of people using it for a variety of different reasons. I hope you go to check us out. Um, you can reach out to me. I'm on Twitter at um, Athlos Mac. And then I'm also on Twitter. Uh, my personal account is The Schmike. That's T H E S C H M I K E. And then email. My email address is mjennings at athlos.org. That's probably the easiest way to contact me directly. Um, I respond pretty quickly. I'm, I, I like, like I said, I like to be an open book and to share the information that I have. I would gladly talk shop with anybody around kind of strategies and ideas and thought processes and anything in, in between. So I, I really hope that, you know, you reach out. 
Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the Out of the Trenches podcast today. Have a great rest of your evening. Thank you. You too. My book, Out of the Trenches, Stories of Resilient Educators, has now been published. Get it now at amzn.to slash 3b7-2z. Again, amzn.to slash 3b7-hx2z. Check out the show notes on danagoodier.com to learn more about this guest and links to their social media. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you download this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. And if this episode resonates, especially with you, be sure to share it out on social media and tag me at Out of Trenches PC. Mm-hmm.